0: Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermons podcast. Today's sermon is brought to you by Bible teacher Dan Slagle and was recorded on Sunday, November twenty seventh, twenty twenty two. And hey, if you're ever in the area, join us on Sunday on campus at nine a.m. or eleven a.m. and come say hi in person. You can also follow us on Instagram at, at @faithbridge to see what goes on during the week. And as always, you can join us every Sunday for our online service called FaithBridge Live at faithbridge.org/live. Here's Dan. Well, good morning. Welcome to Faith Bridge. We're so glad you've chosen to worship with us today. Whether you're here in the live service, in our communion service, or if you're coming to us online, it's great to have you here today on this Thanksgiving weekend. It also happens to be the first Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of hope. We are continuing on in our sermon series, year-long sermon series, actually, through the book of Luke. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 11, if you want to go ahead and turn there. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Our ushers are coming down the aisle. They'll be glad to give you one. And if you don't own a Bible, please accept that as a gift from us to you. Early Christmas gift from Faith Bridge. Luke 19, beginning in verse 11. This is a, a parable of Jesus. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king, and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, "'Sir, your mina has earned five more.' His master answered, "'You take charge of five cities.' Then another servant came and said, "'Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow.' His master replied, "'I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant.'" You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in, and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit, so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him, and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they replied, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you, that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for today and the opportunity we have to gather in your house to lift up the name of your Son, Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray now as we turn our attention to your word, your Holy Spirit would come just as you promised to be our teacher and to guide us into all truth. We offer our prayer in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. When I was in junior high, my family attended a small church on the south side of Atlanta, Georgia. And the custom in that church, uh, like, like many churches of that time was to have a, a family supper on Wednesday nights. Now, it wasn't a, a particularly lavish affair, but it was uh, volunteer-heavy. People were needed in order to pull this thing off. Folks had to come in early and get all the tables and chairs set up in the fellowship hall. And then, of course, there were individuals needed to prepare the meal and serve. And then afterwards, uh, cleanup was necessary. Tables and chairs had to be put away. Pots and pans had to be washed Typically, my younger brother David and I were on the uh, table and chair team putting things away when the meal was over. On one particular Wednesday night, though, about midway through the meal, uh, a couple of our buddies sidled up to us there at the table and said, hey, uh, right after dinner, there's going to be a football game out on the church lawn. Why don't you come on out there and join us? I looked at one of them, and I said, but but what about the cleanup? And he said, ah, they won't miss you this one time. Okay, sounded sensible to me. So, as soon as the meal was over, we made a beeline for the churchyard, And for about 15 minutes, we had the time of our lives. I will never forget, uh, I was facing east. The sun going down was at my back, shadows growing before me. and, And suddenly, off to my left... there was a a very familiar shadow that had a voice. Danny, David, get over here right now. My father had come out and called us over, not to strategize with us about the next play we were going to call. (laughs) No, he was livid. And he let us know in no uncertain terms that we were toast. That was over 40 years ago, but I remember it so clearly like it was yesterday. He said to us, let me tell you something. If there is ever work to be done at this church, the Slagle Boys better be front and center helping get it done. Do I make myself clear? There was just one answer to that, of course. Yes, sir. My dad could communicate. Well, as I read and studied the passage for this week, my mind went back to that episode in my life because there, there are some parallels there. Church, we are on a mission. We have been given a responsibility, a task to perform. This parable isn't about finances. No, this is about the work that we have been called to do as the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus has an expectation that in his absence we will be about the work of the kingdom. And he has every expectation that when he returns or if we should go to be with him first, we will be able to give a clear accounting for our participation in that work. That we will be able to demonstrate, yes, I did my part. I did, Lord, what you asked me to do. The, the key to understanding this parable is, is in verse 13. Uh, in, in the context of the parable, Jesus says, you know, uh, or the king Jesus is speaking of says, put this money to work until I get back. The, the, the larger message for the church is put your lives to work until I get back. That's what Jesus is expecting of you and me. So, how do we do this and and how do we do it well? I, I believe there are several truths we can pull out of the thread of this story that can help us answer that question how to do the work and how to do it well. And the first truth that I find is that we are to do the best we can with whatever we have. Do the best we can with whatever we have. You know, God never intended that all of us were to be exactly alike. The the, the point of there being one individual with ten and one with five and, and one with one is that God has different responsibilities for different individuals. In His providence, in His wisdom, He determines how responsibilities will be handed out and who will be responsible for what. And some are responsible for a lot and some are responsible for a little. But at the end of the day, the what we've been given isn't the question. The question is, what are we doing with it? Are we, in fact, taking whatever has been given to us and doing what we can, the very, very best that we can? Some years ago, we were having a, a serve emphasis here at Faith Bridge, and as we often do, uh, the various ministries had tents and, and tables and things set up out in the courtyard, and there was an opportunity for Faith Bridgers to walk through and look and see what are the what are the various things going on around here where I can participate, where I can help. And I remember one individual approached me. I'd never met him before, but uh, in the course of our communication, I learned he'd been attending Faith Bridge for a couple of years, but never had gotten involved in anything. He was just an attender. So I pushed him a little bit on that, wanted to know why, and he hemmed and hawed some, and finally the excuse that he offered up was, well, you know, I, I can't preach like Ben Stewart. I can't sing like Lizzie Bailey. My response was, well, join the club, pal. <laughs> Who can? God doesn't want you to preach Like Ben. He made Ben for that. He doesn't want you to sing like Lizzie. He made Lizzie for that. No, he made you to do what you can do. And that's what we will all have to answer for is, did we take what had been given to us and do the very best that we could for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of the king? In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul expands on this whole notion of of different responsibilities, different gifts for different people. In chapter 12, he compares the church, you and me, to a physical body, the body of Christ. And he writes these words, If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but just one body. God has designed the church beautifully and has gifted each and every one of us with spiritual gifts, with talents, with abilities, with inclinations, passions, and energy. And he is expecting that we're going to take all of that that he has given to us and use it for him, for his glory, for the lost, for the sake of a broken world, to grow the kingdom of God. And the starting place is to take whatever we have been given And to do the very best we can with whatever that may be. A second truth that we can pull from this story is the importance of intentionality. Intentionality. You know, kingdom work, any kind of work, never happens by accident. Anything of substance, anything worthwhile, certainly anything for God. Doesn't need to happen by accident. You know, I, I look around at Faithbridge Church. Pastor Ken, 20 plus years ago, felt led of God to take the talents and the gifts, the leadership gifts that he had been given to plant a church. I can assure you, he did not wake up on a Thursday and decide, hmm, I think I'll plant a church. No, it took a tremendous amount of thought and prayer and planning and gathering folks together and strategizing and sacrificing time, energy, resources. Why? Because that was the call of God upon his life. And we sit here today in large measure because he answered that call faithfully. Well, that's the call upon Pastor Ken's life. What's the call upon your life? What's the call... Upon my life. The fellow with the ten minas. And the fellow with the five minas. They understood this principle of intentionality. They got after it. They worked. They took the initiative. And when the king came back. They had something to show for it. And they were rewarded for their efforts. The fellow with the one though. There's nothing intentional about him at all except being lazy. Getting by with as little as he could. But in the end, he even lost what he had because he wasn't willing to step out proactively and do what was required of him to do. Now, in the Protestant tradition, of course, we emphasize grace. Grace. That's the notion that there is nothing we have to do to earn God's love. We are not a works-based religion. God loves us freely and extends the gift of salvation to us freely. Earning is not in our vocabulary. But as one of my favorite writers, Dallas Willard, says, while God is always opposed to earning, he is never opposed to effort. While God is always opposed to earning, he is never opposed to effort. The fact of the matter is, friends, kingdom work is hard work work. It doesn't look the same from person to person. But the willingness to step out there and take the initiative and be intentional about it should it look exactly the same. When you read through the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's interesting to see how many of Jesus' stories, references, and parables are work-based. He called his disciples to be fisher's of men, He told a parable about a farmer who went out one day and planted seed. He told his followers once that the fields were ripe unto harvest. Somebody needed to be busy harvesting them. He told a story about a woman who needed 60 pounds of dough once to work the yeast all through. He told the story of a shepherd who lost one of 100 in his flock and went to look for him. He said once that those of us who put our hands to the plow but look back are not worthy of the kingdom. Jesus understood the importance of work and of service. As a matter of fact, his entire life was one big demonstration of service for you and for me and for all of humanity. There is work to be done. Perhaps you find yourself wondering, well, okay, what... What do I do? You've convinced me. I've got responsibility. I, I, I want to get busy. What do I do? Well, here's the simple answer, friends. Whatever needs to be done. Whatever needs to be done. Now, Scripture does give us guidance. Scripture does teach that we have all been individually gifted with one or more spiritual gifts and the passions and interests that come along with that. You can look in the passage that I just read from, 1 Corinthians 12, or Romans 12, or Ephesians 4. All of those chapters provide lists of the various gifts that are given. And that's a good starting place to just read through those chapters and begin to get familiar with how does God equip His people for service. But at the end of the day, my Experience and my observation has been that you discover your gifts by getting busy. Not by reading books, not by taking online uh, surveys and inventories, though those are very, very helpful. I advocate for them, but when, you know, the rubber meets the road, we discover by doing, by trying this, trying that, and finding out. Do I have an inclination for this? Am I good at this? Am I being affirmed by those around me? Does the body of Christ agree? Yes. This is what you need to be doing for the good of all. When I was a very young Christian, I began to have inklings that perhaps one of my gifts was teaching and preaching. Obviously, God wasn't going to put me up in a pulpit first thing. But as I began to look for small opportunities to teach a Sunday school class, to lead a small group, I began to be affirmed. Various leaders around me pointed out, yes, you show some skill in that area. You show some ability in that area. Pursue it. And so I did. And 40 years later, here I stand. Doing now what back then was just an inkling. God has something for you to do. Make no mistake. No one is exempt. We've all been given gifts and we've all been given responsibilities. God may not write it up in the sky in great big letters. This is what I want you to do. My experience tells me that it's in the act of doing that he begins to reveal it to us. When you just show him Lord, here I am. I'm I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. That's when the light bulb turns on. And that's when we begin to discover, this is how God has wired me. This is how God has made me. This can be my contribution to the work of the kingdom. So we do the best we can with whatever we have been given. We are intentional about it. And then thirdly, and this this truth is, is not as self-evident as the other two, but it's, it's there. We need to remember that we are always in the process of becoming someone. We are in the process of becoming someone. Now, usually most of us think about life in terms of... Um, A a, a series of unconnected events that just one day follows the next, follows the next, but there's not necessarily a a thread running through all of them. But that's not the scriptural perspective. No, scripture teaches us that every act, every word, every motive, every thought, every everything is slowly shaping it and molding us into a certain kind of individual. We're like compound interest growing day after day, into one thing or the other. And it's in the doing of what God has called us to do that we are becoming the man or woman that he's called us to be. I don't know what heaven is going to be exactly like. Haven't been there yet. Hope it's a little ways away still. But Scripture teaches that it's not going to be sitting around strumming a harp. There's going to be responsibilities. There were responsibilities at the very beginning in the garden. There's going to be responsibilities from here on out. Working for God, living for God, finding our meaning and purpose in serving the living God who gave us breath, who gave us life. That's what heaven is going to be. And our responsibilities there to some degree. I believe this parable teaches will be contingent upon the life we're living in the here and now. The fellows with the ten and the five minas showed themselves worthy of greater responsibilities. But the fellow with the one, even what he had, was taken away. I don't know about you, but I want to live my life in such a way so that when I am face to face with the king, whether it's him returning or me going to him first, I only want to hear one thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now hear me well, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not focusing on whether or not we're going to get in to heaven. That's a matter of grace. I'm talking about what comes afterward. And the life that we're living now is shaping what that life will be like. I think C.S. Lewis puts it very well in his book, Mere Christianity, this passage. The point is not that God will refuse you admission to his eternal world if you have not got certain qualities of character. The point is that if people have not got at least the beginnings of those qualities inside them, then no possible external conditions could make a heaven for them. That is, could make them happy with the deep, strong, unshakable kind of happiness that God intends for us. It's silly to think, and that's the best word I can come up with, silly, to think that we can live life on our own terms for 30, 40, 50, however many years God gives us and then suddenly step into eternity ready to live life fully on His terms. It doesn't work that way. We're getting ready day after day after day. And a part of our preparation is in service as modeled by our Lord. Christmas is all about Jesus coming to serve you and me. He did not have to. We were the ones that walked away from God. We were the ones that chose to live life according to our own terms and our own desires. We were the ones that voluntarily fell into sin and separated ourselves from God. But as an act of service, Jesus left the glory of heaven, came to earth and took on flesh, walked among us, taught us, lived a life that did not involve sin in any way, shape, or form. He did what we could never do. And then willingly gave his life as a sacrifice, paid the price we owed, but could never afford. And having done that for us, he then turns to those of us who have been made new, those of us who've been born again, those of us who have stepped into a relationship with him. And he invites us to join him in the work. Not to procure salvation, but to take the word out. Whether we live in Spring, Texas, or whether God takes us to the furthermost corners of the world, we're carrying something with us that the rest of the world desperately needs And you'll take it to the world one way and I'll take it to the world another. But the one thing that we all have in common is that we've got the responsibility to do that. So I challenge us this day, on this first day of Advent, remembering that Jesus came to walk among us. I challenge us to live a life of service, doing the very best we can with whatever God has given to us. Doing it with intentionality not absent-mindedness or when we get around to it, but with purpose. And all the while remembering with joy because it is a joyful thought to know that everything we do for Jesus is shaping us on the inside, preparing us for an eternity with Him. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we confess to you that far too often we choose to do what we want to do, which far too often doesn't amount to much. Forgive us. Put put a new heart within us that is awakened to the reality that we we can co-labor with you, we can join with you in the greatest work the world has ever known. Give us a fire, an inspiration, a hunger, and a thirst to do whatever it is you've called us to do with whatever it is you've given us so that the world will hear the name of Jesus and so that when our labors are finished, we can hear from your lips, well done, good and faithful servant.